Welcome to the Source of Commercial Real Estate podcast, where we talk to the experts in all asset classes of commercial real estate. Listen so you can grow your wealth, expand your portfolio, improve your mindset, and live an amazing life. And now, your host, Jonathan Hayek. If you are curious about commercial real estate, even intimidated, but you're willing to learn, this is the podcast for you. Maybe you're frustrated in multifamily, struggling to find deals, and you want to learn a new asset class. This is the podcast where we talk to experts in all areas of commercial real estate so you can find your competitive advantage, grow your portfolio, and live an amazing life. I'm your host, Jonathan Hayek, and I'm an investor, probably a lot like you. I have a portfolio of small multifamily and small commercial properties, and several years ago, I thought I would just keep buying these types of properties. But as time has gone on, deals that make sense have been harder to come by. I'm in a different life stage than I was just a few years ago, and my investing philosophy has changed, so that now I'm looking to purchase larger deals in the non-residential space. But how do I know what to buy? How do I know what a good deal is? Should I buy a warehouse or a medical office building, a self-storage facility, or a mobile home park? That's why I started this podcast, so I can learn from the experts, learn all of the asset classes, and make good investing decisions. I'm glad you're here listening. On the show today, I have a great conversation with Pete Montgomery. Pete is a commercial property manager with over 20 years of experience in the Cincinnati, Ohio area. He refers to it as the tri-state area, which he means the Southwest Ohio, Indiana, and Northern Kentucky area. In this conversation, we talk about some really interesting topics, including how Pete is redeveloping sleepy downtowns, how he finds the right tenants, how he decides what the right tenant mix is in a given center, and how Pete is having huge success with small office space and small warehouse space. There is a ton of value in this episode, particularly for beginning investors in the commercial real estate space. You are going to love this conversation with Pete Montgomery. So without any further ado, here's my conversation with Pete. Big warm welcome to my guest today, Pete Montgomery. Pete, how are you doing today? Doing great. Very nice day today, and uh, you know, ready to uh, get some info out to you. See if we can help some people out. Good. I'm glad you've got a nice day. I've got uh, about three inches of fresh snow on the ground this morning. <laughs> really, about 75 here and sunny. Uh, believe it or not, for November. Oh, sounds so. terrible. Yeah, I know. <laughs> we even got people out to painting. So there you go. Pete, let's get started with you telling us about your background, how you got started in real estate, and what your work in real estate looks like today. Sure. So um, about 20 years ago, I um, decided I, I wanted to um, do property management, started out um, managing apartments, you know, residential, um, and just realized that it, it kind of wasn't my cup of tea, but I love real estate. So um, after talking to a few friends of mine, they said, why don't you try the commercial side? Um, which I never even thought of. Um, and then once I, uh, you know, ex actually ended up getting a job, um, my first commercial job, I absolutely loved it and kind of ran with it. 
Um, not, not too long after that, um, I, a few years after that, went to uh, CMC Properties. And the reason I, uh, you know, got on with them is they're one of the uh, biggest, uh, you know, property management companies in the tri-state here um, and been with them ever since. Uh, so about going on about 11 years now. Um, and then, you know, in the first 10 years, like I said, did a lot of residential apartment stuff. And then uh, once I got into commercial, just uh, loved it. So let's talk about that tri-state area. So you're based uh, in Southwest Ohio, and that area sort of has a reputation of being low appreciation, high cash flow. It's had some stagnant population over the last decade or so, which can scare some investors away. So give me your kind of bird's eye view of um, what your thoughts are on the Cincinnati market. Uh, The Cincinnati market's on fire. Uh, we, uh, we got voted, uh, one of the top cities to live. I think it was like, we are number like seven or eight, something like that. And just recently, um, the restaurant market here is insane. The warehouse markets is crazy. And even the office market here, um, I would, we're probably one of the few cities that, um, are opening up restaurants, um, you know, monthly there's, you're hearing a new restaurant pop up and, uh, it's just becoming uh, a very uh, go-to city, one for the uh, you know the cost of living, but you're also getting some top-rated five-star restaurants, um, and we're not slowing down. It's just it's been insane here. And Pete, you're also really involved in the redevelopment of some outlying areas of the Cincinnati market. Can you tell me about some of your work in that redevelopment space? Yeah. So what we typically do is we um, we go out to cities that still have kind of the the, the downtowns that still have the original buildings kind of look, uh, you know, like it's still back in the olden days, but it's just kind of sleepy and tired. And what we try to do is stay within a city that has, uh, you know, we, we, we practice uh, family fun, fitness. So we want there to be usually, you know, a, a river, uh, some some sort of water by it or a bike path. Something like that. So, you know, it's, it's far and few that we can pick from, but we started out in Milford, Ohio, which is, you know, 20, 30 minutes from downtown Cincinnati. Um, we built our first, um, apartments there right on the river. And before we did our development, um, it was, it was very sleepy, very, uh, laid back. Um, and what's, what's kind of neat about it is today there's not a, a space there that's, um, you can rent. It's actually one of the hottest spots in Cincinnati. People are would die to get in there. We've had a couple of breweries open up, and it is just uh, you know one of those places that you can't get into because there's nothing left to rent, and it, it's it's fantastic. From that um, from that city, we jumped over to um, Loveland, Ohio, again in the tri-state area, 30, 40 minutes from downtown Cincinnati, again on a uh, bike trail, one of the biggest in the uh, one one of the largest in the tri-state. And uh, also right on a river, um, we built our first mixed-use development there. So we had uh, apartments, high-end apartments on top, uh, retail underneath, and we filled a retail space like that. Um, the apartments are on a waiting list, and we're we're um, getting top rate, top dollar for the apartments, stuff you would see in downtowns. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it's just crazy. After we built that, again, it was a little bit sleepy, still a great area, but just a little sleepy. Um, now you go down there, there's nothing, nothing vacant anymore. Um, new restaurants popped up here and there. I'm getting calls left and right. If, you know, even if people are asking, is there anything, anything left, any space? 
So it's just kind of neat to see that happen from city to city. Um, from that, from, from downtown Weldon, what we did is a little bit different. We um, went into Hamilton, Ohio. Hamilton, Ohio was a little bit tricky for me uh, because it had a, kind of a bad reputation. Um, it was, uh, it wasn't the best, uh, you know, the best uh, part of town. So what we, um, what we did is the city manager was a big part of it. And um, he convinced us to uh, build there. And uh, we did. And now Hamilton um, landed the largest sports complex in the country called the Spooky Nook. Um, thank God they did because that really, um, you know, it helped the city. And uh, they, they bring in, it's going to bring in about 40,000, uh, 30 to 40,000 new clientele every month. And now that city, nothing available. One of the hottest cities uh, in the tri-state area and people, uh, you know, 10 years ago, I was trying to get people to go there. Now brokers are calling me left and right saying, do you have any space? Kind of amazing. Um, our, our project that we are just finishing is in Lebanon, Ohio. Um, it was always known for its, uh, there was a few presidents, I think four or five presidents that uh, have visited Lebanon and eaten at a place called the Golden Lamb, which is a stork. So when we had the opportunity to build there, um, again, city manager was a big part of it. We jumped on it and uh, we just opened up um, our final retail spot and we've, we landed some, some of the highest quality tenants you can get for a suburban um, city that was known for farmlands and, and uh, you know, antique shops. So again, they just opened, they had a tremendous turnout and our apartments are 100% full, waiting list, top, top dollar for them. And uh, I can't wait to see what happens to the city in the next few months. So much to unpack there with the redevelopment. It's a fascinating topic. And for me, when I think about redevelopment, I'm always... I always just come back to the chicken and egg scenario because it's like you've got this, you know, I mean, let's focus on Hamilton because um, it sounds like that sure. that's just been a huge turnaround for you all. So yeah. you, you have this conversation with the city manager or politicians in the city. And, you know, how does that conversation go? How what happens first? You know, when the city manager says, hey, we've got this vision, we want all this all this stuff to happen in Hamilton, and you're like, you know, the, this town's a dump. I mean, no one's going to want to live here. And, you know, so how, what comes first? How, how are you going to attract people to a, to a sleepy town? So here's what happened with Hamilton. I, I mean, I, you know, when my, the owner of our company, Jim Cohen, approached me and said, can you get high-end retail tenants here? And I said, I was like, I can try. I said, I've never not been able to land a tenant. I said, but this is going to be a tricky one. It, it really starts with the city manager and, uh, you know, the, the city council. If they have a, um, a plan, a future plan that's laid out the right way, um, the, everybody's on board that wants to help the city and, and you know, the bickering and, and, and you know, the things like that are just set aside and uh, everybody's for, you know, re revitalizing the city, it, that makes a big difference. So because of the city manager, Joshua Smith in Hamilton, he came up with some stuff that just blew us out of the water. One was he came up with a, um, a, a, a way to land people to live in his city that are, that are graduates. Um, he gave a stipend, I think it was like $300 a month up to a year. If you lived in Hamilton, whether it be our apartment or wherever, um, you graduated, lived in Hamilton, and worked in Hamilton. Um, so that brought a ton of people. It was a very, very good incentive. Um, also, 
um, you know, there was, there was talk of the spooky nook. So we were, we were intrigued, but it wasn't a hundred percent. He guaranteed us that that thing's going to happen. And sure enough, it happened. But after we, um, you know, the, the, the city of Hamilton, the people there were amazing. It's just, it had a bad reputation. So after we decided to build and we were on board, um, we opened up and it's just, it was like a domino effect. Um, it, it changed overnight. Again, the city manager, they, they, you know, put in parks that they, you know, people never seen, put in a water park across from our development. And we worked with him and said, look, you're going to have to make the streetscape improvements so that it looks, you know, beautiful along with our building. We're putting in 22 plus million into uh, your downtown. We worked together and they really accomplished uh, probably one of the nicest cities now you can go to. And it's amazing what's happened there. So, you know, like, again, city manager, city council, good, good future plan for the city as it means a lot. It sounds like kind of a classic public-private partnership. It seems like the city forked over a bunch of money, probably had some favorable zoning and regulations to make things like this happen. Yeah, you have to, um, you know, again, you have to... It fit our MO. Everything fit. The river was there. The bike trail was there. The cool downtown. I mean, they film a lot of movies there. We're filming one as we speak. Um, so we love that, but the reputation was was not there. But once we, um, you know, it was in an opportunity zone, which is great for us. Um, the tax abatements were there. And then it really just had a lot to do with the, the city. You know, we, we, we like to you know talk to the people in the city and ask them what they think about it and feel about it. And everybody was 100% on board. So, you know, I would say if it wasn't for the people that live there and the city council, again, the city manager, that's how it kind of all happened. And, yes, you know, getting grants and things like that do uh, help a ton. But uh, we were very happy and, and very proud of what we built there. We actually uh, broke ground a couple months back on our second um, mixed-use development there called the Rossville Flats. And we're already getting calls. Literally, we've just poured the foundation and people are wanting to rent already. So it's it's just been insane. Let's talk about attracting tenants to the area, because myself as an investor, I'm thinking about how I might be able to ride on the coattails of what you're doing in Hamilton. I might not have the dollars to participate in you know, that kind of redevelopment, but maybe I see opportunities you know, outside of downtown or, or in the nearby area. Do you see... Um, did you have a first? Did you have a problem attracting good quality tenants, or was it more like you know we need to get one, and then once we convince one, then we can show others this great tenant is coming, and then more will come on board? Can you tell me how it was attracting tenants to the area? So whenever I would uh, first, what I do is all my tenants that I have, um, a lot of a lot of people they they you know they broker a deal. And then they never see the tenant again. We're we're more on the development side, um, so we have a very. What I realized in life is, you know, just because you got these people in a restaurant, doesn't mean you should never talk to them again. So I call all my tenants. I, I give them first dibs on every space that we're about to open. They know two years before we even, you know, when we're about to sign a contract with the city, this is where we're going next. And they're like very interesting. Well. Hamilton, I did that too, and everybody just kind of was like, there's no way we're going to Hamilton. Um, so we talked to a, a four-star uh, Italian restaurant in Loveland, Ohio. name of the place is called Tano's Bistro. Amazing food, great chef. And we said, what would it take to get you to Hamilton? We promise you we won't let you down. You've seen what we've done in the past. And he said, if you build it, I'll come. I go, what do you mean? 
because you build the kitchen um, and I'll come. So we uh, all got together. We put in some TI money. We got some grants from the city and the, the city kicked in some money too. And uh, we built Tano's kitchen. Um, kitchens are expensive, you know, five hundred to eight hundred thousand dollars. We built the kitchen, built, and, and and you know, he took care of the rest of the remodel and, and everything we had to do. And um, that's how we got Tano's. Once we announced that, it was a lot easier to get other tenants. But um, you know, it, 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 like I said, the relationships that I have with my tenants, it, I you know, I was kept working on them and working on them. But the big part was Tano saying yes. How does an investor? find a broker like you because to be quite honest in the uh, if someone is just a leasing broker there's really not a lot of money in it for uh, on the brokerage side um, especially if you're looking at mom and pop tenants that are that are low rent so what advice do you have for investors that want to attract great tenants but they don't have the contacts with the four-star restaurateur, uh, but they want to attract a great tenant. I would suggest what I did. And what I did is I picked the day of the week. It might have not have been every week or every other week. Every Wednesday, we would go to dinner. Every Wednesday, we'd go to a different restaurant, a different coffee shop, a different whatever bakery. And we would, we would you know, we'd check the newspaper, see what's hot, see what's cool, see what's hip. And every time I'd go, I'd ask to speak to the owner. And I would let them know the reason I came here is because one, I'm a developer. Two, I love your product and everybody's raving about it. I, and then of course I would eat first and <clears throat> then have the, the owner come over and he kind of would look at me and, and either, you know, say, okay, you're nuts or what do you want me to do as far as you know, are trying to sell me something? No, what I want you to do is take a chance with us on this new city. And I guarantee you're going to be very successful. And that's pretty much how I did it. I would suggest if, if you're a new developer or you're just somebody that has, you know, you bought a building that has a great restaurant or it could be a great restaurant. It's downtown. You got parking. Go to restaurants that you love. Go, you know, check, uh, you know, Facebook, check uh, Google and see what are the hottest restaurants out and then go in there and don't be afraid to ask to speak to the owner. Give them a card. Say, I don't, you know, all I want to do is show you a space. Try to get them to that property and then try to create a vision for that owner. Um, and that's pretty much how I've done it. Usually, you know, it works, but it doesn't take, you know, it takes 30, 40, 50 times. But we've got quality tenants and we are full in every space. Does Is the typical broker interested in being involved in leasing space or would they rather not mess with leasing so is it more on the on the property owner to find tenants no i mean there's there are there's brokers out there that that you know that's their bread and butter is leasing the space of course you're not going to get the big you know commission but you know you also got to remember you know if this broker has 20 30 properties and and they're not they're hungry they're not you know seasoned some when i say season i don't want to offend any brokers but you know sometimes you get a little you know too set in your ways and you're waiting for that fifty thousand dollar commission you just, I would just suggest finding somebody that's, that's, you know, you, you click with. Um, it doesn't necessarily have to be the, the top of the line, you know, broker that's gonna, that's renting stuff all over the city that's, you know, bringing in nationwide tenants, but you can find somebody that's hungry. Um, and it would help you out. Um, I find, you know, it is harder for a bigger brokerage firm and, and brokers to probably give the smaller listings their 100% attention. Um, I've, you know, I ran into some stuff, some problems sometimes where I've called and said, you know, are you, how many times have you shown this property? Maybe once in a couple months. And I just feel like 
if you get somebody that's maybe not as season not as uh you know names all over everywhere you see on every vacant you might have a little bit better luck um and nothing against any broker but i think that uh somebody that's coming up is going to work a lot harder to get your space rented great advice what what advice do you have uh about choosing a tenant mix Sometimes if, uh, you know, if I've got maybe a mixed use or a strip center and I've got some vacancy and somebody shows some interest, but maybe not the ideal tenant, I might get a little anxious just to get a warm body in there, even if they're not maybe my, my first choice. What advice do you have for, for choosing a tenant mix for a given center? Well, it depends on what type of center it is. I mean, there's going to be different tenants with different centers. Of course, we met, we all know that. But the best advice I could say is what, what we do personally, we won't, of all our mixed use rest, uh, mixed use developments, we don't, we won't put any chains in any of them. If you come to me and you're a, a longhorn steakhouse or something like that, we're not going to talk to you. We're going to say thank you. You might fit better in our shopping center. Um, where we have an outlot, but we try to go with the, um, the mom and pops, the, you know, the, the, the cool Italian restaurants, the cool, uh, street taco stuff. And we also won't put somebody with the same use next to somebody else. Um, so, you know, it, it just depends. Now, if you're in a strip center and, and you're, you're doing good, you're, you're, you're making your, you know, your mortgage, everything's being paid. And then you've got three places that are empty. That's what I, and somebody comes to you that could be like, I don't know, maybe a kind of a black eye that you would probably not rent to. Just, just stay tight. It, it's gonna, it's gonna happen. Um, I had, a, I told a gentleman that not too long ago and he, and he was gonna rent to a restaurant in Milford, Ohio. So he owned this beautiful building and, and he was eager to get it rented. And I said, this is, this is special. This is the hottest place to be. Just hold tight. He did. He, he listened to me and he landed a quality tenant that's paying double what he was going to get from the original tenant. So if you can hold tight, I know it's sometimes hemorrhaging money. I, I would say don't take the first person that comes to you because a lot of times that could be trouble. A lot of times they don't last. And, uh, you know, I, I try to put good tenants in good centers. Do you have any advice for uh, an investor maybe looking to find the next up-and-coming Hamilton, Ohio, you know, the next place that, you know, is going from zero to 10. Um, so maybe, like I mentioned before, maybe an investor can ride on the coattails, because my guess is, you know, spaces even outside of downtown have become uh, more and more desirable as well. And, and, and there are people making money outside of that redevelopment area. Do you have sure. any advice for investors looking to find that that hot place that that other people aren't investing yet? Well, the, the best thing you can start with is, you know, it's going to be hard to find a hot place if you're not from that, that city, that, that area. Start with where, what you know best. Um, you know, as well as I do, you know, you go to an area that is, has been run down and nothing's been there and all of a sudden this cool restaurant opens or a brewery opens there because it's good rent or cheap rent. And you're like, you know what? I can't believe they opened here, but man, this restaurant's amazing. That's when you start. That's when your a light bulb should go off in your head and say, wait a minute here, if they opened here, somebody else is going to come because what's going to happen is people love the uh, suburban uh, mix where they can eat, drink, play, and walk home. So the downtowns we're finding, people are still there. They're not as um, popular. Our restaurants actually do, their numbers are insane, you know, being in a suburban atmosphere. So to find your next up and coming, start with where you live. Um, you know, look at that newspaper, the business carrier, whatever you have and, and see who's opening. 
Um, and, and you kind of, kind of go from there. I mean, you know, it's all, if you go into, you know, your, your city and all of a sudden this something happens where a restaurant comes there, like I was saying, I would start looking right away of vacant places because, uh, probably within six months to a year, that place is going to be hot where, you know, everybody has it in every city. There is a, a neighborhood or an area that you're like, I can't believe it's like this now. And it happens often and it starts with one good tenant. So when, when you see that tenant and you're like, why are they there? Go buy whatever they, whatever's vacant. Trust me. Great advice. So with your experience in these redevelopment projects, what major lessons or takeaways are you learning from them? Um, the major thing, that, one of the best lessons I've learned is, is communication with city council, city managers. A lot of people don't do that. Um, become, you know, talk to them. Ask, don't just put in what you want to put in. Ask what the city wants. We, we hold a town meeting every time we, we're about to, you know, when we sign a contract before we break ground. And we, we uh, you know, we'll, we'll buy pizza and some drinks and have, you know, a couple hundred people out. And we ask the city, what do you guys want? What would you like to see here? Not a lot of people want to see, you know, a vape store in their city. They want to see um, something cool. What do you guys need? Um, so we, we get in community, you know, we stay in contact with the city, the residents there, um, the city council and the city manager. You really have to have that, that relationship and just show that you're not going to be the person that's buying up everything and putting in what you want there. Because once you ask the city what they want and you work with them, it's a lot easier to, um, in the future also, it just helps to a good relationship. So, you know, I would suggest, you know, is visit as many people as you can. Hold town meetings. Don't be shy. Get the word out and let them know that you're an investor that wants to help the city grow. Great advice. Yeah. Be in tune with the local area. Don't do just what you want to do, but do what's what's desired in the area. Makes yeah, a, a lot, lot of sense. Well, they'll open up something and they, uh, they don't really, and when I say don't care, they don't really think about the city itself. We, we put the city first. Um, of course, we want to make money. Don't get me wrong. But you know, that's why we kind of handpick our tenants. Um, we we could probably rent our centers out left and right all day. And we have, you know, we've turned away a lot of people. Um, but when we get this good mix lineup, people love it. And those tenants stay forever. And um, then we, you know, we offer them first dibs on the new cities we go to. So you have building clientele basically going to each place you go to because they see a track record. Pete, you are also active in the office and warehouse space, and some of these spaces that you have are pretty unique. Let's start talking about office, and okay. um, CMC, CMC has what they call the perfect small office. Tell me about uh, tell me about the perfect small office, and how is it different than a conventional office building? So what we what we figured out is that big office spaces one. We, we were lucky to figure this out years ago, are, are not really the norm. And we, we didn't see it in the future as being the norm. COVID hit and that just destroyed it. So kind of proved what we were thinking. Um, what we do is we have about, we have usually three, we got about three buildings on my site, um, 300 offices. These offices um, go from an executive suite, which is about 200 square foot. And then we go up to what's called a single suite, which is 300 square foot. You can come in today, you can rent an office, um, today, get in today, and you can be up and running tomorrow. So what we're seeing is um, a lot of people want to get out of the house. A lot of people want to start their own business. We don't we don't try to make um, big, huge office spaces. We do individual spaces, and we've been full going on three years now. 
Um, we have a waiting list. I mean, people are doing everything from nurse practitioning to home health cares to, uh, you know, a young girl that wants to do hair. Um, and so because we can offer such a good price for those suites, uh, people can afford that. And it's, it's, it's been insane. We, we usually are, are, like I said, we have a waiting list now and all three buildings are, are full. So we have seven locations and it's pretty much the norm across the board. Um, so if, if it was me and I was an investor about to buy a, an office building, I would take those huge spaces and I would, uh, make them individual spaces and rent them out for an affordable price. Say for instance, at one of our sites, we rent a single 300 square foot office for 400 bucks a month. Um, we offer month to month leases. Uh, that's a lot of people don't, we don't do a lot of bells and whistles. We, we partner up with our local internet provider in Cincinnati and, and make them an exclusive. So we offer, you know, they have to pay for their own internet. So it's, it's a very simple concept. Um, and if there's a need more than you would believe, um, and it's just, you know, insane how how it's uh, it's it's very simple to uh, keep them full, but offer small spaces. Not a lot of people do that. I think we're one of the only I've seen besides the executive stuff that is you know seven eight hundred bucks for an office space. Buy your own building, make individual suites, rent them out, and you'll make a lot of money doing that. Trust me. It makes a lot of sense, especially as uh, we're starting to see a lot of vacant office space come on the market, and yep. something is going to have to happen with these with these properties what sort of what sort of amenities are people looking for so the amenities that you think like for instance what we offer is basically um you, you we offer your um your office to you but it, that's it i mean if you want internet that's it so when somebody walks in the door they don't people aren't really asking for all the bells and whistles anymore they just want a space we give them a space we give them a nice space you know um they want internet so they don't want to do the work. We got it all set up for them. But they also like that month to month. So the amenities to me, you don't have to get, you know, go out and spend a ton of money and buy this and have all this. What you need is a nice lobby, um, a nice break area, um, you know, make sure the buildings looks nice. But people will come, um, especially at those prices. Um, you know, and we have, like I said, about 300 offices. They're full. So if we're charging $400 per suite, you do the math. It's, it's a pretty profitable business. Um on our month-to-month leases, we also charge month-to-month fee. If you don't want to do a year, you want to do six months, two months, whatever, we're fine with that. Um, so you can generate more money there too. But the amenities are, are just, you know, your norm. Uh, people these days like to, uh, you know, I don't know if it's because of COVID or what, but, you know, most people are, you know, they stay in their suites. They got their own little refrigerator. As long as we have some coffee uh, and some snack machines, that's really the only, only thing we see. So, you know, just nice building, nice lobby. Um, conference room is a must that you can rent out. Um, but other than that, not much. Yeah, that's really helpful. Um, do you, are you only seeing solopreneurs, just individual people coming in, or do you have any, you know, groups of people like a small law firm looking for three or five offices? Do you, do you do any, um, any flex space like that? Or is it only just single office space? No, we, we do. So our, our tenants are typically the, the uh, one and twos, um, what we're known for, though, is we can punch a hole through the wall and make your office 600, 900, 1200, 15. So people do grow with us, but as they get bigger, that's when they kind of move out and either get their own building. We do also have warehouse space and flex space. Um, across the street from uh, my, my, uh, my office spaces, we have 27 warehouses. Um, 
They're not huge. Our biggest one's about 7,000 square foot. And those things stay full. It's, it's unbelievable. Um, again, the reason we, we are successful with that is because you can get your guy that's doing air conditioning and he can come in and get a space that's affordable. Um, we don't charge cam on that either. We take care of the cam. So our prices are great. Um, we have good tenants. They usually stay year after year. You know, um, the flex spaces are, are insane. They, they lease out like crazy also. Um, if you're, I, I would say my suggestion, if you go to buy something and you want to do this t- type of concept, make sure you buy something with a dock. Uh, make sure you buy stuff that has a garage door that opens up. Those are the type of spaces that I would look for versus a strip center with, with just storefronts because now you have, um, you're opened up to uh, retail as well as if somebody wants to just store their, uh, you know, air, their AC equipment in there or, or whatever they're doing, you, you can kind of lease out to a whole different crowd too. So look for those spaces that have the docks. Look for the drive-in doors. Those are huge right now. People, I, I can't get enough of that stuff. Yeah, I love this discussion because to the new investor um, or just maybe someone that's new to commercial real estate looking to get an in, I love this idea of uh, of you know the office and warehouse space and having multiple tenants uh, because it, to me it seems sure. to lessen the risk because if you buy you know one giant thirty thousand square foot warehouse and you're hoping to land um, you know a, a a triple net lease it's possible but it might take a while whereas if you have 30,000 square feet of warehouse space, but it's divided up into one, two, or 3,000 square foot sections for the HVAC tech yeah. who uh, who needs who needs a space to work. It seems to lessen the risk. It, it's definitely right. I mean, the reason we, we stay full is because there's nothing like that out here. Some people try it or, or do a couple, but, you know, we're, we, we take these spaces and we realize that these big companies – you know, you land, you might land a GE, you might land something like that, but it's very far and few. And then if you do get a tenant that needs that much space, seven, 10,000, whatever, they're not going to be able to afford the square footage with the space. So, you know, we, we rented, we like to, what we do is we, we grow a lot of companies also. So they start small because they can afford the, the space. They do very well. You know what they do next? They get another space because they've grown. They get it from me. So it's, it's just, it's kind of a domino effect. I mean, if I had a warehouse that was wide open and, and huge, I, I would not waste my time on trying listing it. I would cut that into individual spaces, 2,500, uh, you know, I wouldn't go, I'd go about the smallest would be 1,500 square foot, and you'll rent those things like crazy. How are you marketing your office and warehouse spaces? How are you staying so full? I mean, to be honest with you, it's, it's funny. We used to just do Craigslist back in the day, um, you know, which sounds silly. But now we don't do much of anything because we're established. Um, you know, we'll, we'll throw it on, on the, the site, you know, on our website, or we'll send out a Facebook post. I usually do Facebook and things like that. Um, word of mouth um, from all our clientele. I let our, all our clients know we got this coming available. Would anybody like to uh, expand? That's our first thing we do. If, if, you know, and if they don't, they might, if you know somebody, we give a referral fee. So we try to go with our tenants. Those people know people that we don't. Um, we do some advertising, but nothing to the point that it's going to be cost- costly. I mean, it's as good as whoever's running your property. So, you know, have that person talk to everybody. Every time I'm out and I see somebody that is in the business, I go, hey, are you looking for any space? Roofers, they always need space, things like that. So talk to everybody. I mean, it's, it's your it's your property. It's going to be up to you, too, if you're not hiring the right people 
then you need to get out there and sell yourself. And, and, you know, it's, it's nice to see, but you know, advertisement wise, again, it's pretty much just me doing it and, you know, get somebody that knows social media and you just talk to people. Do you have any advice on choosing locations? You know, do you want to be in, uh, high traffic areas or do you want to be in more um you know in, like an industrial park or office park or do you have any thoughts on location well i'll tell you location wise what you want to do is you want to be centrally located to everything so if you're where our space is we're 30 minutes from downtown cincinnati 30 minutes to downtown dayton ohio probably 25 minutes to Indiana and we're right on 275 highway and 75 highway. So you can be anywhere in the city within 30 to 40 minutes. Um, don't make that your, your only reason to, you know, if you don't find something like that, I understand, but try to be in a place where it's easy to get in and out of. I don't necessarily think that you have to have a high traffic spot. If you're doing warehouse space or office space, people need that product and they'll come to you. But, um, you know, just try to be in a place that's going to be again, easy to get to and then also try to find a space that has like i said the the docks are huge the drive-in doors are huge you'd be surprised at how many people if i had a drive-in door where you can drive your truck to or your product I, everything would stay full for years after year um so just kind of when you when you're seeing these things on the market go and walk it and and say okay this could be a cool space for this i remember that guy talking about dock space that stuff's huge a lot of a lot of centers don't have that and then you're only limited to that retail person where this opens up a broad uh, clientele for you where you can do, uh, you know, multiple, uh, you know, things besides retail. When you're looking for a new space with this idea, it, does the building already have this kind of setup with, uh, you know, lots of different suites? Or are you doing significant work in order to create the suites? So, I mean, it just depends. Some Sometimes... Um, it's set up like that, you know, if you do it with your strip malls and things like that, of course. But if you go to warehouse space, a lot of times um, they're not set up like that. So in order to do that, you're going to have to spend a little bit of money, you know, put up a, divide, you know, de a demising wall and then the drywall. But you can also, uh, you know, put up one side of the wall. And then when you get a tenant, have the tenant, you know, finish that space. I mean, there's a lot of things you can do to offset some of that. But just offering that little bit of amount of space and, you know, spend the money to do it and you'll see that it'll get rented like that. Because if not, you're going to have to rent a 30,000, 40,000 square foot warehouse that's going to sit there for a while. There's several office buildings around me that used to have these huge tenants and they're sitting vacant right now. Beautiful. And I, and, and I'm just thinking to myself, you guys should have listened to me when I told you, make them smaller. And they, they laughed at me. Well, we're full and have a waiting list and, and, and these guys are, you know, there's nothing in any of these buildings. Yeah, the advice that I keep hearing is smaller space and space that's more flexible is easier to fill than, you know, giant, you know, 10,000 square foot plus space. I mean, don't get me wrong. Those spaces are great for some people. But again, uh, you know, if you get a big box tenant for those spaces, what's going to happen is they're going to ask you for three, four or five hundred thousand in, in build out. So you better hope you have, you know, the the, the funds to do the build out because nobody's going to come in and say, I'll take it and I'll build out your space also. They're going to ask the landlord for, for money to do that. So not only are you not getting rent, and now you got to spend half a million dollars to plus to get this up to par. Then you start getting rent a couple years later, and but it takes you a while to get your investment back. Pete, this has been great talking about your uh, your redevelopment work and in the Cincinnati market and talking about 
small office space and small warehouse space. Um, as we wrap up here, what advice do you have for a commercial real estate investor starting out from your 20 plus years in the business? What I would say is, is you know, go buy that property that you you can make work. Don't over, don't buy something too big, but buy something that's a good deal. I don't care where it's at for right now. Put a little bit of uh, uh, work into it. Make it look uh, presentable. Get it out there to the public. Take pictures, whatever you got to do. But start off small. Work your way up. It's going to be a learning curve. But, um, you know, start with that first property. If you're afraid to do it, it's never going to happen. But I can tell you right now, people will come to these spaces if you, you kind of see what the trends are. Um, you know, keep listening to your podcast because you, you, that's how you find out what the trends are. But, you know, start with that one property and you, you'll realize that it's, it's a lot easier than you think. You're going to run into a lot of issues. But you know what? Once you get the, the, the hang of it, you'll be very successful. Then buy a second and a third. Start off small, though, and uh, go from there. Great advice. Pete, if listeners want to learn more about you, where would you like to send them to connect with you? They, they can uh, they can go to our, our website at, uh, at theperfectsmalloffice.com. Um, you can go to cmcproperties.com and I'm on there as, as well as the perfect small office. Um, you know, any, any, anybody that needs to, you know, any, any advice or any questions or anything like that, we'd be more than happy to help out. Um, you know, our goal is to, uh, is to do great in Cincinnati and tri-state, but you know, we have no problem with, uh, you know, helping somebody out to get started because, you know, you build relationships that might come back to, uh, help you out in the future. Great. Pete, I sincerely thank you for your time and expertise with me today. Um, thank you so much for, for spending part of your morning with me, and um, I wish you the best here coming up. I appreciate it. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Pete Montgomery from revitalizing dumpy downtowns to creating small office and warehouse spaces that are attractive to small business owners. Pete had some great insight for investors looking to get into the commercial real estate space. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to hit subscribe in your podcast player. And if you're feeling generous, leave a review in Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening to this. I have some amazing guests coming up that I think you're really going to enjoy. So until then, thank you so much for listening. I appreciate you. Take care. This content is for entertainment and informational purposes only. It is not financial advice, and it is not an invitation to buy or sell real estate or make any investment decisions. 